Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning, First Universalist. Please stand and join me in singing our opening song, which is Gather the Spirit, number 347, in your gray hymnal. Good morning. Good morning and 
Good morning and welcome. <laughs> you know, we've been doing this for two years now? Wow. And the technology still uh, is technology. Good morning, friends. My name is Reverend Arif Mamdani. I am one of the ministers of this church, and it's been a rough few days, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been a rough few days. I am excited to be here with you, even though maybe because it has been a rough few days. I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that we are here together. And I have to say that my heart aches too. Perhaps that's true for you as well. And yet here we are. Here we are amidst the beauty of this day and the sometimes not so beautiful things that happen in this world. We are here. We came to church. We made a statement about what matters in the world and what matters in our lives, and we came together, each from our separate places, to form this beautiful and beloved community that we make sacred, that you make sacred through your presence. It is good to be together this morning. Good to be leading worship with Reverend Kate, with Amy, with Tim Crack, our guest pianist. Tim, we're so happy that you're here with us today with Stephen and John back there making all the technology amazingness happen. Thank you, Stephen and John. And to the many people ushering and greeting this morning, so many that I didn't even get a chance to get all of their names, thank you all for being part of creating this morning together, near and far in one strong body. It is good to be together together as a church who has for over 160 years protected the light in each human heart, listened deeply to where love is calling us next, working with courage, humility, and compassion to heal the world and work to make real the beloved community that we long for. And we do this with a commitment to racial justice, to ending oppression in all its forms, to showing up in solidarity where we're called, knowing that when we show up for each other, we show up for ourselves too. This is the life of faith that we invite you into when you journey with us. And congregation, as we gather this morning, we turn our attention to the land that we are on. Mindful that it was the home of the Dakota and Anishinaabe people long before European colonizers arrived to steal the land and displace the native people who lived here. We open our hearts to this bigger story of the land, and we remember that native people are still living here today. May we find ways to reconcile the pain of this past, the contradictions in our present, so that together we can write a new and bigger story that makes room for the truth of our past and embraces a bigger shared future for us all. That was a lot of words. So let's let go of those words as we enter this time of worship. I invite you to let your body be comfortable. 
to let go of the words and take a few intentional breaths together, letting our shared breath call us into worship. So I invite you to take a deep breath in and then let it out very, very slowly. Take another deep breath in and slowly let it out. And one last breath at your own pace. In this shared breath, this literal conspiracy that we make together, come, let us worship together. Will you join me in the words for the lighting of the chalice? Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. So I want to share a story with you this morning. The story that I want to share comes to me, comes to us, from um, Lauren Wyeth, our Director of Spiritual Growth for All Ages. It's a story about her family, and particularly her son, Ames, and I should note that I have their permission to share this story. So the story goes that when Ames was little, there was a week or so where he was just really out of sorts. He just was angry and upset and sort of not his usual self. And Lauren and Allison, you know, as you can imagine, right, they kind of scratched their heads. They tried to figure out what was going on. They didn't understand why he was just so clearly out of sorts and unhappy. They tried to figure out what was wrong, and they did everything that they could think of. They made sure that he was getting enough sleep. That didn't work. They made sure that he was eating enough, that he was hydrated enough, that's really important when it's hot out. That didn't make any difference. They tried everything that they could think of, but no matter what they did, he was still, still out of sorts. And so finally, after a few days, one of them, and they don't remember as it goes with our family stories, they don't remember who said this, but one of them said to him, what's wrong? You know, what, what is it that's going on? Why are you so out of sorts? And I guess they finally asked the right question. And you know how that can be. When someone finally asks us the right question that unlocks what's going on for us. So they asked him the right question and Ames said, I don't know what's going on but my feet are really hurting. And so they really naturally said, well, okay, let, like, let's, let's look at your feet. Let's see what's going on. And so they did. And what they found when they looked at his feet 
what they found was that his feet had grown not one, but two sizes too big. The shoes that were on his feet were two sizes too small. And I, I can hear the grown-ups in the sanctuary who have cared for children going, oh boy, yeah. Of course his feet did not fit into his shoes. And of course that was making him really uncomfortable. Of course they were hurting. That would make any of us feel out of sorts. They got some new shoes for Ames. Shoes that fit his newly larger feet and he was better again. So dear ones, here's what I want you to know about this story. Young ones, if you are in the sanctuary today or you are joining us at home, I want you to know that you are growing and changing and that sometimes you will grow and change faster than your grown-ups can keep up with. You will grow and change and maybe it will not be seen. <sighs> Can't say that and look at my daughter at the same time. <laughs> you will grow and change and maybe it won't be seen right away. Maybe it won't be appreciated or noticed for what it is. And what I want you to know is that it is not ever your fault for growing and changing. Growing and changing is what human beings do. And here's the thing, if you feel that you have grown in some way, and if you feel like things don't feel right, whether it is your clothes or the words that people use to describe your gender or who you love, or the words that you use to talk about who you are, if you feel like you have grown and changed, Tell your grown-ups that things don't feel right. Tell your grown-ups. Tell the grown-ups here at church because we are happy to help you figure that out. We are happy to help you figure out a way to make things feel right. And to the adults in the sanctuary, what I want to say to you, really what I want to say to you is pay attention to what I said to the young ones. It's true for us too, no matter our age. Human beings grow and change, and in that process, we will outgrow things that used to feel right. We will outgrow things that used to fit. They might be clothes, they might be shoes, but they might also be relationships. And they for sure particularly in this Unitarian Universalist faith where we say that revelation is not sealed, that truth is continuing to unfold, they will for sure be ideas that we outgrow. As adults, we have many tools to try to fight this growth, to ignore this change, and we can cause a lot of damage that way. But know in your hearts that growth is what we are made for and that this is part of what we do together in this church. And if you find that you have grown and changed, that the stories or ideas that you have lived in aren't big enough anymore, I hope that you will reach out and invite some of us here into that question, that process with you. Growing is not something that we do alone. Let me say that again, growing is not something that we do alone, and it is for sure something that we do better in community. Let's sing together. 
with Amy and Tim helping us, hymn number 155, Circle Round for Freedom. Here in, the, uh, here in the sanctuary. I want to invite you into a space of prayer and meditation. I've been thinking about all of the ways that we pray. It was so good to be with so many of you at the courthouse on Friday night. It felt like prayer to be together. It felt like we were praying a new story about prayer, that it isn't always quiet and only words, that it can be social. Yeah. <laughs> that it is an attitude of heart, it is a way of inclining our spirits, that prayer has many expressions. We were praying with our feet and our hearts and our bodies and our voices at the courthouse on Friday. And it was good to be with you, in body or in spirit. I needed to be with you, to see you, to know that so many others were present who I didn't see. To know ourselves gathered here far and near, in one strong body unbounded by physical space, connected by the commitment to journey together to hold each other in fierce love, a fierce love that wants freedom and growth for ourselves, for each other, connected by this commitment to repair the world and to make life more whole for all beings everywhere without exception. There is a lot that we are holding today. And as we tell a bigger story about prayer, as we pray a bigger story about prayer, I invite you to find that prayerful inclination of heart, if you haven't yet, to open your heart towards the receptive spirit, the space of being grounded in truth and of being honest. 
and from this place. I want to invite you into a little experiment of praying, an experiment in communion with each other. And I invite you in this prayerful place to find three words for how it is with your spirit this morning. So just find those three words. And then I invite you to turn to a neighbor, to wait a moment till they are centered in their words and share with each other your three words, not as our time of prayers of the people sharing our cycles of life, but as a prayerful giving and receiving of this moment and the three words that reflect how it is with your heart this moment, this morning. And if you're online, please share in the chat or with others who are in your presence. And we will bring us out of this brief moment of giving and receiving with song. And as you hear us sing, we will invite you to join in as you feel moved. So find your three words. Turn to someone near you and engage in a prayerful giving and receiving. And we will bring you back together in just a few moments. Dear ones, let's sit in this space that we have created together. Open hearts, receptive spirits, bodies that are releasing, bodies that are loosening.
Let us put down the weight of the world. Knowing that we need not carry it alone. Congregation, will you pray with me? Spirit of life, spirit of love, bonds of interbeing and interconnection, weaver of the sacred thread that connects us beyond time and space. We are grateful this morning. Grateful for the health and the strength to be gathered in community. Grateful for a space where we can share our rage and our heartbreak. Grateful to be gathered in this community where we might know ourselves beloved, just as we are. We are so many things this morning. Brokenhearted, rageful, astonished at the political events of our shared national life. Scared, awestruck. Our faith tells us to be honest. And so we pray this morning that we might find the capacity to be more fully honest about what all is happening. That we might be more fully honest about our grief and about our rage and about our fear and about our doubts and about all that we are feeling. That we might find enough honesty and humility to know that the time and the space that we are in socially and politically is fraught and complicated and there are no easy answers but there is honest and meaningful and transformative work ahead. Holy One, help us to settle. Help us to settle in the resolve to take up the pieces of this work that are ours. To stretch ourselves to grow new ways of engaging this work that we might change not just laws but hearts and minds and culture so that the solutions that we create are solutions that are durable that can't be changed so quickly. Changes of heart and mind and spirit, bigger stories that reflect our highest common potential and move us ever closer to the beloved community we long for in our hearts. With all this in our hearts, with all that we carry this morning, I invite you to give voice to what you would lift up in worship and surround in the care of this community today, knowing that what you lift up in community, out loud or in the chat, what you ask to be surrounded in care might be your very own name and heart and spirit. Holding all these things that have been named out loud, those things that are being named in the chat, all that we hold silently in the sanctuary of our hearts.
we pray that the grip of addiction be loosened, that the weight of oppression be lightened. We pray that truth be told, that joy break through, and that love make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so, and amen. Dear ones, one of the words, uh, grief was on my list, but one of the words was grace, the amazing grace of being in your presence and seeing you. Marge Piercy wrote, anger shines through me, anger shines through me. My rage is a cloud of flame in which I walk seeking justice. A good anger acted upon is beautiful as lightning and swift with power. Thank you for your powerful offering of prayer, Arif. And beloved community, in the midst of all this, I have chosen to go ahead and share the homily I was writing on Wednesday before SCOTUS misstepped so heinously and shamelessly on Thursday. Yes. <laughs> My plan is to address rage on another Sunday. There's so much to say about it, and we'll still be feeling it and needing to use it. As Clarissa Pinkola Estes says, rage is not like a kidney stone. If you wait long enough, it will pass. No, no. <laughs> you must take right action. Rage is a substance waiting for our transformative efforts. We want to use it to change, develop, to protect. So I'm going ahead with Wednesday's homily because this feels like a good time to remember what one of my guides would say. Let your no protect the sanctity of your yes. Let your no protect the sanctity of your yes. We are feeling the full force of our no, for sure, and it feels important to me to lift up the yes that my no so fiercely protects. I want to be rooted and grounded in that yes, because we are in this for the long haul because it will be hard, 
and we need sustained energy, and our inner flame needs to be tended and steady, and we can't leave joy behind. So here's the homily. Sometimes feet hurt because shoes have gotten too small, and feet are asking for room to grow. Sometimes the stories we live in need growing room too, and we don't even feel the pinch until we're told a bigger story. Here's a little example. Until recently, I had in my mind really one basic image of sharks. The human-eating great white shark in Jaws. I'm not alone there. At least that's what David Schiffman said when I heard him talk about his shark research and his book, Why Sharks Matter, a deep dive with the world's most misunderstood predator. For many, maybe most folks, the word shark conjures jaws. This man, Schiffman, is clearly and quietly crazy in love with sharks. And he astounds the eight-year-old in each of us with what he tells us. For instance, that sharks have been around since before there were trees on Earth, that over 1,000 species of sharks and rays have been identified, and a new species is discovered every couple of months. Sharks come in sizes as small as your forearm or as big as a school bus. There are striped sharks, glow-in-the-dark sharks, sharks with very weird snouts, and there are bubblegum pink sharks. Greenland sharks can live 400 years, and they don't reach puberty till they're 160 a long wait, and they found whole reindeer and polar bears in their stomachs. The saying is, if you're wondering if there are sharks nearby, dip your finger in the water, and if the water tastes salty, there are sharks nearby. <laughs> and some are even in rivers. And it's relatively rare for sharks to attack humans, and a lot of shark bites only require a Band-Aid. And these ancient creatures are endangered, and the most helpful thing we can do is eat only sustainably sourced seafood. And as for the likelihood of getting killed by a shark, statistically, it's more likely that we'll die by getting struck by a falling flower pot. It's more likely that we'll die from stepping backwards off a steep cliff while taking a selfie. Since listening to David Schiffman, the word shark, for me, conjures this dazzling abundance of facts and forms. Thanks to Schiffman, I have outgrown my too small shark story. Here's another one, a small story expanding. Last Tuesday night, PBS aired again a classic documentary about Woodstock. Anybody see that? And we've seen it before, right? But we saw it again, August 1969. Yasger's New York Dairy Farm uh, turned into a music festival, 400,000 young people camping out for peace and love and some drugs, yes. Um, and there was that moment when Jimi Hendrix took the stage and took the crowd, doing what he did that day with the Star Spangled Banner transforming our national anthem so we could hear the bombs not just bursting in air, but screaming, blasting, exploding on impact, napalm dropping on Vietnam. Painful, shocking, brilliant, brilliant. 
Somehow, through the unchartered universe of his electric guitar, Jimmy had given us a whole tangled American story. I remembered the first time, maybe I was 21, I heard that, or did I see it on film? It doesn't matter. What matters is the old star-spangled banner, the one we innocently sang in my all-white Illinois grade school, our little hands over our young hearts was gone forever. I'd heard a larger story, one that I could never unhear. This is Pride Month, 50th Pride celebration in the Twin Cities. Woo! A celebration of the freedom to be and love as we are called by the soul to be and love. For me, it's always a good time for poetry, but especially when talking about large stories, poems can hold so much at once. They're small carriers of big cargo. These words are from David White's poem, Sweet Darkness. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. Give up all the other worlds except the one to which you belong. Anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. I've moved to Minnesota three times in my 75 years. I grew up in Decatur, Illinois, soybean capital of the world. That's corn and soybean country a couple hours south of Chicago. Decatur, where most women worked in the home, where black neighbors lived on the east side and the fumes from the soybean mills blew thick into their yards and hung there where my Methodist church taught a mild Christianity, where scripture was Jesus' stories and Jesus was the Anglo-looking one who searched for lost lambs, the meek-looking kind, and then lifted them onto his gentle shoulders and carried them home. Then, 40-some years ago, having landed here in the Twin Cities, I walked into Unity Church Unitarian, our sister church in St. Paul, and I learned that religion can be something else an insistence on questions, a call for justice, can preach a good anger beautiful as lightning and swift with power. I found that poets can be prophets too and can be scripture. And I'm thinking of a particular night in that Unity Church sanctuary. It was a special gathering, a packed house, where Robert Bly, the wild mystic poet and activist who died just last November was reading the poems of Sufi mystics. Not exactly reading them, but reciting. You may have seen him do this or heard him do this. As he's reciting as he strummed these rippling chords on the strings of a Greek bouzouki, the music, he said, is to send the words deep into the heart. He recited Antonio Machado's lines translated from Spanish, I love Jesus, who said, after heaven and earth have passed away, my word will remain. What was your word, Jesus? Forgiveness? Affection? All your words were one word. Wake up. And Rumi, the 14th century Sufi visionary, Bly almost sang, I, you, he, she, we, I, you, he, she, we, in the garden of mystic lovers, these are not true distinctions. I, you. He, she, we. In those moments of fire, 
was lit in me, and suddenly it was impossible for me to stay seated. In the middle of the program, I found myself up, standing, stepping over and past the folks in the pew, kind of floating and fumbling all the way, my feet taking me toward the back door of the sanctuary. It surely looked like I was suddenly sick. I had to move or implode. Bly must have noticed my leaving because as I reached the exit, he paused his poem and said, in my direction, so matter-of-factly, see, that person understands. And though my brain was a fiery fog, I remember thinking, yes, I do. <laughs> and I followed my feet out into the night because only the sky was a big enough room. Did my journey to ministry start that night? Maybe no, maybe yes. But whatever took hold of me also told me I had work to do. Maybe hard work, maybe a lot of it, maybe for a long time. I didn't tell that story, the one I just told you, ever until a couple years ago, not because I forgot it or minimized it, but more likely because it lives so deep in my cell tissue, it's a given, it's unremarkable. Why tell anyone? It's like announcing that I have a spleen. <laughs> and you have stories like this. You have stories like this, formative stories that have become organs in your body. You witnessed something, something happened. You caught your breath, and then your feet began to move. And the unremarkable work began. The real work, discernment after discernment, small task after small task, fueled by the heat of the flame of your yes to the bigger story. I, you, he, she, we. I, you, he, she, we. They. In the garden of mystic lovers, these are not true distinctions. Later in seminary, the larger story held. Reading Hebrew scripture, Genesis, gender, first things. The book of Genesis gives us two different creation stories by two different authors, side by side, chapter one and chapter two. The first story, chapter one, in the old King James reads simply, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, Male and female created he them. More recent translations have loosened that up, but I like my own translation, where of course God is a they. It goes, in the image of God created they them. Male and female properties and possibilities created they them. Then there's the other Genesis story, the rib story, many of us know. In that one, God, the trickster, makes Adam out of mud and then removes Adam's rib. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Um, and then removes Adam's rib to make Eve. In other words, God opens Mother Earth and takes a man out of her, then opens the man and takes out a woman, Eve, and then a little later opens Eve and takes out a son, Cain, hidden inside the woman, a man hidden inside the man, a woman, and so on. It's a magic show. <laughs> Gender is a magic show, and it's a soul thing. We trust the soul that dwells within a body to make that call. It's about the truth of our lived experience, and it's a mystery. Bow to the mystery, we Unitarian Universalists like to say. 
And as a Unitarian Universalist, I love it that in Article 2 of our UU bylaws, where we list the religious sources we draw on in our faith, our foundational liberal religious sources, mystery is the first source. Mystery and wonder. Here, here, here it is. The living tradition which we share draws from many sources. First, direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. We're not afraid of mystery. We don't have to have certainty. Mystery is where we start. It's our friend. It's the biggest big story big enough to hold all our other big stories. And beloved community, it's our story. And what I love about this is that in our tradition where we're so good with words, the Greek root of the word mystery has something to do with shutting the mouth <laughs> and being struck silent, maybe in humility or in awe. And though mystery is beyond articulation, mystery is what we protect in one another, protect from ignorant and arrogant powers who don't know how to hold that mystery in reverence. And while we're lifting up Article 2 of our Unitarian Universalist bylaws, right now, this week, even today, our wider UU community at General Assembly in Portland, Oregon, has been hearing statements from the Article 2 Study Commission, a group charged with reviewing our bylaws and proposing revisions that will better, quote, enable our UUA, our member congregations, and all our covenanted communities to be relevant and powerful forces for growth, healing, and justice. They go on to say that based on wide intentional conversations, which are part of this project, the one value that's shared among us, no matter what species of UU we are, humanist, Christian, atheist, Jew, or Muslim, pagan, or other, no matter what species we are in, in the vast ocean of our liberal movement, our core shared theological value is love. Love is that salt taste in our sea. And because, as Dr. Cornell West says, justice is what love looks like in public. Our commitment rooted in anti-oppression, anti-racism, and multicultural values and practices. Our commitment is love in action. That's the summary, love in action. And any revision of Article 2 should put that at center. Jimi Hendrix said, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. And here's more. The new principles and purposes should guide us in the transformation of ourselves and our communities into active networks of care, restoration, and justice. They should be honest about our past, name what we are facing, and choose love in action as the path forward. They should be a living document that places liberation in all its dimensions at the center of our lives. The world was made to be free in. Give up all the, all the other worlds except the one to which you belong. So we Unitarian Universalists have chosen a love story. 
Love is what we, who bow to the mystery, can agree on. And love is a mystery too, of course, but with a difference. We can't enact a mystery, but we can enact love. Mystery might make us shut our mouths, but love can make us open them and speak and join together and do the work. The words of this closing prayer are from my dear colleague, the Reverend Jan Eller Isaacs. Spirit of life, remind us that love is the blaze that will keep us warm, love alone. If it is love growing in us, then fan the flames. And if the fire of love includes acts of rage against the pain of so many, let the fire burn. But let us not waste our powers for anything less than love. So be it and amen. It is so much fun to share this chancel with you, Reverend Kate. I am associate ministers of the church here, right? See what's going on here, y'all. I am so grateful that you are here. Thank you. Anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Did I write that down correctly? Yeah. Anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. I realize that um, there's probably something that we should have said earlier in this service that perhaps went without saying, which is why we didn't say it, but if you uh, are not familiar with this congregation, if you do not know this church, it probably is important that we say very clearly and out loud that this congregation will continue to support, defend, and extend the right to abortion and access to reproductive health care for all. You all are already engaged in that work and we will only continue to do that. We are not going backwards. We are not going backwards. And in that spirit, today's offering goes to support our justice. This is the Minnesota State Abortion Fund. Abortion is still legal in the state of Minnesota. And with this Supreme Court ruling, the state is near certain to see folks from surrounding states coming to Minnesota for abortion care. Our justice supports people seeking reproductive health care in Minnesota, and their fund is available for uh, abortion financial assistance, for lodging and transportation support, and for referrals for abortion doulas and aftercare resources. 
Support of this fund is just one of the many ways that we will be involved in this work in the coming weeks and months and years, and I invite you to give as generously as you are able. Ushers will be coming around with baskets. Uh, you can also give online uh, via text and cash app. And I thank you for your generous support of this work and for all of the ways that we will show up in support of this broader effort in the days and the weeks and the months and the years to come. Will the ushers please come forward? Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.